0: Please pray with me. Father, on this first Sunday of Christmas, as we uh, continue the celebration of our Lord's birth, I pray that you would open our minds to understand your word. Open our hearts to trust your word. Open our wills to obey your word. And Lord, in the written word, let us see the living word, Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. I think I'm a little echoey. Move this down a tish, see if that helps. a little better? Is that good? Great. Hey, well, Merry Christmas. It's great to see you all. I hope the holiday's gone well. It's still Christmas season. This is the first Sunday of Christmas. It's the seventh day of Christmas. You've heard the song, right? Maybe you didn't know that people actually celebrate that. Yes, we do. It's the seventh day few more to go. I believe Friday is the 12th day of Christmas. Yeah. So then on Saturday, no more Christmas. So um, what the church does every year is at the celebration of the, of the Christmas holiday itself, we read the story of Christ's birth. So we usually read from Luke and then kind of leading into it, we usually hear from the story in Matthew and then Every year, on this first Sunday of Christmas, the church lets us read about the meaning of Christmas. John 1. So John 1 kind of says,
1: you know all that stuff that happened in Bethlehem?
0: Here's what it's about. It's about the Word. The Word, who is God. And so I want to walk through this text. Now, this is a super dense text. I will only hit the highlights. So I encourage you... This week, I'm serious about this, to get into John 1, 1 through 18 on your own this week and sit with it. Maybe read it every day and just kind of let the Holy Spirit kind of pickle your heart and mind. You know, like you make pickles and just sort of soak in the word and go deeper into what it means for Jesus, God, to be the word. But the, the truth that kind of really is the heart of this text, or at least the, the truth that the application that connects to our lives is this. That the Word became flesh that we might be born of God. If you're here on Christmas Eve, you're right. That's a repeat point, but it's right here in the text. The Word became flesh that we might be born of God. So let's ask this question and answer Who is the Word? If we need to know about the Word became flesh and, and we need to trust Him, who is the Word? Well, the text says three things about the Word it says the Word is God, the Word is creator, and the Word is the light. The Word is God, the Word is creator and the word is the light. So if you have your hand up, look at verses one and two. Let me just read those again quickly. St. John writes, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So you notice the two verses are bookended by the word phrase in the beginning, right? That's a clue that's meant to go together. And In the middle of it is this interesting statement. There's this, Entity, we'll call it, called the Word. And the Word is both with God and the Word is God. The Word is with God and is God. What's going on? Well, St. John's trying to get us to go back into eternity, back before history, and think about Jesus. So so when the angel Gabriel came to Mary and spoke over her and she received that word from him. The Holy Spirit came on her and Jesus of Nazareth was incarnate. But the one who was incarnate was God the Son or God the Word, the second person of the Holy Trinity. And that person existed for all eternity. He didn't just show up when Mary got pregnant. He has always been. And I think that phrase, in the beginning, part of what's going on in there is St. John's trying to, trying to say something you really can't capture in human language. What does it mean to just be and never have a beginning? And he says, well, in the beginning. But, but it's, a, it's a Bible formula phrase. It's kind of like way back there beyond in eternity. It has another meaning, too. We'll come back to in a minute. But there's this person. Why do I say person? Because it says he is God. And God is personal. We don't worship the force. We worship a God who loves, a God who's holy, a God who has will, a God who acts, a God who moves, a God who judges. That's who we worship, a person. And that person is captured in this phrase, the word. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. So, first thing we know, the word, the word is God. Lock that away. Verse 3. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. It's talking about the word. And so the word is creator. That's a God word in the Bible, right? Only God creates. We are created. Everything other than God is created. God creates. So if the word who is with God and is God creates, one thing it's telling us, again, is reinforcing the word is God. But also this word that existed in all eternity is the one through whom everything that exists came into being. Everything that exists came into being through God, the word, God, the son, the one who took on human flesh in Jesus Christ. Everything, everything, everything was created by him. So he's God, he's creator. And then there's this long section, verses four through 10, where we're told he's also the light and there's this little kind of parenthetical section about John the Baptist and I think what St. John's doing is he's saying hey John the Baptist is really important if you're around and you're reading this and you're around and he's around you'd be tempted to think he's the son of God but he's not he's the one who points to the son of God or to use the language of the text he was the one who points to the light but the true light that enlightens everyone is coming into the world Verse 9. Verse 10. Well, let me stop there. So the God who is the word, or the word is God. The word is the creator, and the word is the light. What does it mean to say he's the light? Well, there's a couple things going on here. One, light in the Bible is a metaphor for all that is good and right and pure and holy. And it's saying the word is the source of all that's true all that is good, and all that is beautiful. That's what this text is saying. God, the Word, is the source of all that. He's also the one who shines the darkness because what does light do when it's turned on? It dispels darkness. Darkness is not a thing. You know that, right? Darkness doesn't exist. Only light exists. Darkness is just when light is gone. Darkness is the absence of light. So so the Bible has this kind of light, dark metaphor that goes all through the Bible. And darkness means evil, chaos, brokenness, sin. And how do you get rid of that darkness? Turn on the light. How do you get rid of the darkness? You shine the light. How do you get rid of the darkness? The Word, who is God, the Word, who is Creator, shines the light. Not even talking about the incarnation yet. This is what he does just by virtue of being God. He is the light. He is the source of all that is good. And one implication of this, although it's not the heart of my sermon, is just this idea that, that there's the phrase in the book of Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. What that's saying is, you'll never understand life. Never understand life. At least you start with the God of the Bible and reason from his existence and reason from his character. If you try to figure it out without that, you'll miss it. That's part of what's going on here. He's the source of all that's true. He's the source of all that's good. He is the source of all that's beautiful. Even someone who makes something beautiful that doesn't acknowledge Jesus Christ, the light that makes that beauty is God the Word. We could just riff on that for hours and think about the implications. But I think you're picking up that this being, this person who's the Word, is a big deal, right? Big deal. God, Creator, light. And this is who he is in eternity. And he's always existed. He is God. He's with God. Let me let me I meant to say something right there. Let me say it right now. So as the church reflected on this passage and other ones and tried to come up with the language to describe what does it mean for the word to be God and be with God is the up of the doctrine of the Trinity. And the Trinity says there's one God and there's only one God. there's not three gods, there's one God. And yet, three persons. And you have to be so careful when you talk about three persons, because sometimes you need to think about like there are three separate entities that operate independently, which is absolutely not true. Otherwise there'd be three gods. And yet, and yet there's three persons, somehow, and they're all God, and yet the father is not the son, the son is not the father, the spirit's not the father. Father's not the spirit. You get the drill, right? And what binds them together in their being is, of course, their oneness. They're one in their existence. But the quality that binds them together is love. For all eternity, the Father has loved the Son. From all eternity, the Father has loved the Word. And in a sense, because he loves the Word, that love makes the Word, God the Son, the full expression of God the revealer of who God is. And then there's this other person called the spirit. And the church has said different things about this in reflecting on Scripture, but my favorite way to think about it is this: that that very love that exists between the Father and the Son is this person, the spirit, so that when we share in the spirit, we share in God's love. But not God's love is sort of a sentiment that floats out there, but the actual, tangible stuff called the love that exists between the God and the Father, that's in you. Because the spirit's in you. But that's a different sermon. Back to this. So the word is God. The word is with God. He's creator. He's light. And then, verse 14. Look, look at it with me. And the word became flesh. The word, he's God. He's with God. The word is the creator of all that exists. And actually, that means he sustains it constantly. It stays in existence because of him. And he is the light that shines light in everything. That word, that that reality, that person that is the ground of everything that exists, has existed, will existed. Nothing without him, he became flesh. That verse is like one of the most momentous verses in the whole Bible. There's a couple other ones that are pretty big too. But I mean the word became flesh. The word became flesh. What's going on? Well, somehow, in a way we can never understand, God the Word, God the Son, took humanity into Himself. He He came down to us and He took humanity into Himself said in this one person who we know now is Jesus, this one person, there's two natures. There's a divine nature, and there's a human nature. And all of Jesus that is divine is all divine. And all of Jesus that is human is all human. Top to bottom, both at the same time. Perfect union, but the natures are never confused. That's who, that's who Jesus is. That's what it means he became flesh. Now that may sound like one of those doctrines that you put on your doctrine shelf, and you know guys who go to seminary and women that go to seminary love thinking about that. but actually, it's the most practical truth you can imagine, because you know what happened when the word became flesh? Humanity was restored to God. That's what happened. When the word became flesh, all of us were brought back to God. We were just brought back relationally. That's part of it. We're actually brought back in our very being. Because you see, we were created to be one with God. We were designed to have God's nature and our nature intermingled. Not to become God. We never become God. We are always created. But yet so in union with God. So in union with him. That his nature and our nature so intermingled. That we are just full of glory. The glory of God. what is the glory of God? It's the holy love of God. So that we become like God and we love God and we love people. That's why John says what he says in verses 11 and 12. Let me read that. He writes, He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, this is Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, here's an important thing to mention here. We have a tradition of calling all human beings God's children, right? And that's okay, there's nothing wrong with that. It's not biblical. In the scriptures, people who are in Christ, who've been adopted into Christ, they're God's children. The rest of humanity is God's creation. He loves all his creation, but they don't have the status of daughters and sons, only those who've come to put their faith in Jesus. And that shows up here in this text, not wrong to call everyone, everyone God's children. That's not a bad thing, but technically not biblical. And if you think the first thing you can mix up, what's going on here. You can miss the point. This is a special status of union with God. He gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, not of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Born of God. You see, God the Word took on flesh so that humanity and God could be united, and so that all of us could be born of God. All of us could have the life of God in us. Or you could say, be born anew, or born from above, or born again. And the one who makes that happen is the Holy Spirit. He comes to live in us. And we're converted and brought into union with Jesus through him and then inaugurates a life of following Jesus and a life of pursuing a full union with God. Letting him love us and out of that loving him and loving others. That's the heart of Christmas. That's the heart of what it's about. It really is. There's many other implications. Don't misunderstand me. So many things you could reflect upon when you think about The word became flesh. But at the very center is you and me being born of God. So Merry Christmas. Because Christmas is why we exist. Christmas is the purpose of our existence. Christmas is what life is all about. Life is about about union with God. That's what you were made for. You were made so God could love us. And so we can, in turn, love him and our neighbor. And this is our destiny. This is our identity. This is our hope. This is the meaning of Christmas. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Why? So that we might be born of God. Union with God. One with God. Now and for all. Eternity. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, we need to do something really cool. And it's so appropriate.